Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. This is a podcast exploring how we can best maintain a sense of energy, inspiration, and wakefulness while dealing with the unique stressors of this strange and potent time. My name is Brett. I'm going to be your host on this journey. And today we're going to be discussing an underrepresented and often taboo subject in our society, and that's aging something that we're all going to have to face, and yet many of the difficulties surrounding it are really only joked about peripherally or outright put off until we're directly in the experience ourselves. Because of this, there's a lot of fear and narrowness in the way that we perceive the aging process. While it's inevitably going to be a challenging aspect of being alive, it's also one that is ripe for insight, opportunity, and self-development. And because of this, I invited today's guest, Desiree Rumbaugh, on the show to talk about her work with using yoga as a vehicle to explore graceful aging. See, Desiree is a longtime yoga teacher who specializes in working with students over the age of 50. With deep roots in the Iyengar and Anasara yoga traditions, Desiree has gone on to create her own unique discipline, which also combines elements of strength training and meditation. She calls her program the Wisdom Warriors and has offered it to countless students across the entire globe. See, our goal with this discussion was to normalize the conversation on growing old and to offer a reframe of it in a way that invites a sense of ease and potentiality. If I'm being honest, I think we did a dang good job of that. So even if you're not over the age of 50, I encourage you to give this episode a moment of your deep attention. I think that there's something incredibly valuable about steeping yourself in these conversations. It helps prepare you for and to understand the entire arc of what it means to be a human. And I think in doing so, we have an opportunity to greatly reduce our fear of the inevitable changes that come with aging and to invite an increased sense of agency in our day-to-day lives. But before we get started with that, if you'd like to support the show, please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash 21st Century Vitalism. Or you can offer a token of non-monetary support by means of following us on Instagram or liking us on Facebook or subscribing on YouTube. Uh, If you're someone with a little bit more moxie, you can consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Any and all engagement is helpful in tipping the algorithms to bring this show to more people. And I deeply appreciate it. If you want to plug into Desiree's online teachings, you can head on over to DesireeRumbaugh.com. She has a lot of online courses where you can get started with everything that we talk about in this episode directly from the comfort of your home, which is amazing. Thank you, Internet. So without further ado, please sit back, drink some tea, do some stretches, and welcome Desiree Rumbaugh. Okay, we are now live. Desiree, thank you. Hello, welcome uh, to the show. How are you today? Great, thank you. This is fun. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, well, I just want to start off by saying that one of my best yoga experiences since I've been practicing for a couple years was actually your Grand Rapids Urban Retreat. Uh, I really loved just your teaching style. That was my first interaction with you. And I just found that to be so helpful. And I'm still unpacking so much of that. So I just wanted to start by gassing you up a little bit and just saying thank you so much for uh, just your dedication to this practice and what you bring to it. It's really special. Oh, I'm glad to hear that, Brett. I'm always uh, honored when someone younger than me feels like my work is that relevant. That's awesome. It is. It is. You know, and I think 
where I wanted to start this conversation, uh, because so much of what brings us to a practice is kind of the environment that we were in when we made the decision to start. So I want to go back to the beginning. Uh, when you first started practicing yoga, and what was it exactly that kind of spurned this interest in you to explore something like Iyengar, which I learned from your bio, and which is a very kind of intense uh, vein of yoga. So yeah, what brought you into this world and has kept you in it for as long as it has? Well, I started as a dancer early in my life. I was a dancer. So movement was always really fun for me. And then I started teaching aerobics in the 80s because that's what everyone was doing. But I went to an aerobics convention and I found one yoga class. One yoga class. This is like the late 80s. And I, I was out of curiosity, I just took it and I fell in love because the combination of dance and exercise, of course, was natural. And then I started seeking. And, you know, back in the late 80s, yoga wasn't a household word yet. So I found different things and flow wasn't in existence. Power yoga wasn't around. I found the Iyengar system. And it was so strict and reverent and regimented. I think that appealed to me because I was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school and everything was really strict and rule oriented, which is odd to me now because I don't resonate with that kind of training anymore. But it, it just, it got me introduced in a good way. And then I found Anasara from there, which was an outgrowth of someone, John Friend, who had studied Iyengar yoga. And then it all has evolved. It just continues to evolve so much from there. And it's been a passion of mine. I just knew that this was going to be my life's work. Wow. What was like the turning point when you like recognized that? Was it that first class that you did or did it kind of creep in? Yeah. 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 Well, well, the first class was a huge aha. Uh -huh. And then I, as I started seeking, I just couldn't get enough. More and more, 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 more. And I'm driven. And then I've met so many others like me who are driven and passionate and, uh, I just love being part of this worldwide community of seekers. Yeah. Seems like I can never get enough of asking the deeper questions. Yeah. So, you know, with the Iyengar system, with the Anasara system, as I've been practicing it with one of your uh, contemporaries, um, you know, what I've noticed about it is, and what's really drawn me into it was the amount of internal awareness that it takes. You know, I've done a lot of yoga in the past where it's kind of the teacher will stand up front and just kind of shout, pose, 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 pose. And you're expected to just get into it with very little instruction. But what I really like about the Anasara system and its outgrowths are just the amount of internal, there's so many posture points that you need to take into consideration to set yourself up for the proper alignment and expression of the pose. So what would you say is like the most important element of that? And why is that so important to this system? Yeah, the way I look at it is this, without that instruction that's detailed and uh, really opens one mind to new ideas, we limit ourselves with our beliefs. We just feel like, well, that pose is too hard for me. I, my back hurts during that. We start to have these negative concepts of what we can do and how we feel. And then when someone explains things in detailed way, we go, oh, wow, I could actually feel that. I think it opens us up to knowing our potential. And that's been a big one for me. Like, how can I keep growing instead of just reside in my limitations and have that small picture of myself? Yeah, I've noticed for me, like if I can't get to the full expression, I'm using my air quotes for listeners, yeah. um, I'm still able to get a part of it. 
and then be able to just express even just that one part. And there it does feel to be a sense of growth even just within that, even if I'm not in the perfect backbend, I'm at least feeling the sense of getting on the path, which I think is really important too. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it it changes our whole perspective on life and the problems we have to deal with because poses can present challenges or problems. So how are you going to get out of this mess? You know? <laughs> and so you, your brain starts to work differently, like creative solution oriented instead of uh, denial or problem focused or just, well, you know, making up stories. Well, if you see someone who's doing something that you can't do, you think, well, they didn't have the life I had, you know, you have this comparison thing. But what I love about this style of teaching is that it equalizes everyone in the room. No one really looks like a huge show off. Everybody's working on their own stuff, paying attention to their part. And I love that for our mind. I think it's really good. Yeah. That's what I've found to be really fascinating because, you know, I'm working with your friend Benji um, and I'm definitely usually the youngest person in the room. And yet, I feel like we're all in the same container. We're all in the same vehicle, even if I might be more flexible or strong. I feel like as I'm meeting my edge, everybody else is meeting their edge. And there isn't this sense of like, oh, I'm really doing this way better than everybody else. That's so important. That's really, the, that, that kind of comparison misses the whole point of practicing yoga or studying yoga with other people. And I like the unity and community that you, what you're uh, describing. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, what I think is really interesting is really like the age difference that I'm noticing and the degree of depth that you can achieve, even as the body starts getting a little bit more rigid and a little bit more tight. And that's what I think is so radical about the style that you both teach is that everyone is invited into that space and has the opportunity to really sink in and find their own unique expression. Um, you know, and that gets me to think a lot about just aging in general in relation to yoga and the amount of opportunity to really maintain the body. So, you know, with your Wisdom Warrior program, which is really what I wanted to dial in on, this idea of aging and yoga, when did that kind of become your main focus in your offerings? I started working on that in my early 50s. And because I was starting to feel that's like a little bit postmenopausal, or for men, andropausal, <laughs> that, that time of life when hormones really do change. I started to feel like, uh-oh, things are not easy for me anymore. My shoulder hurts now. I can't do this, can't do that, because I had been used to doing so much before that, and the comparison was really getting to me. And so I teamed up with a physical therapist at that point, and weight training began in my life because I'm not going to get defeated here. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I, I have two choices. One is stop. And say, well, the aging process has caused me to have to give this up or get curious, go in. And so with the help of, it really took a lot for me. This has all around 2013, 10 years ago. It took a lot for me to do the work I needed to do. But then that helped me see that it is possible. People have to want to. And the really cool thing about Wisdom Warriors is now, okay, I'm 64 now, and I've attracted a group where we live in Mexico of people that are not teachers. They're not yoga teachers. They've never done a training of any sort. They were just taking normal yoga classes, like you said. And I I sort of, like a Venus flytrap, pulled them in. <laughs> and now I'm working with, they're like ranked beginners, but they're able to do so much more than they ever thought they could in their 60s. 
and some in their 70s. And that's pretty amazing. It blows one's mind open because I think aging doesn't have to be like we think it's going to be or like we've seen it before. Your cells don't know how old they are, you know. <laughs> and it's quite, sort of a programming thing in our mind, how we put it, what, what, we, uh, what we think about it. So I promote a lot of physical training for people who want to keep this party going rather than bringing the practice down to a really easy level because you're old. I say, no, amp up, amp up how you're aging instead of giving in to what aging is taking away from you, you know. That, so that's my, I, I feel really blessed that this is my experiment and I get to keep this party going and lead others and they lead me and it, so, you know, I always wanted to make it look like for you younger people that this is not so bad. <laughs> yeah. Thank you <laughs> That's for that my whole goal. Compassionate I know, well, work. <laughs> I, there's people doing that for me, too. I have people I look up to, too, because it, it affects your psyche. Yeah. And I was just uh, thinking today about how when we're young, we just want to get older, right? When, I'm, when we're little, we want to drive, we want to date, we want to get out of school, we want to, you know, we want to get older, we want the future. And then when we get old... We start wanting the past. It's so funny. We want to be young again. We never get the present. Yeah. We're in one or the other, but we miss the present moment. So this work is helping keep me more in the present moment. Well, I think it's such a refreshing perspective, especially from somebody who is in the physical practices, because here in our culture, I feel like there's just a dwindling respect for aging. I feel like we don't really have like an, a, a role of the elder or somebody who can actually celebrate the fact that they have aged and they've accumulated a lot of life experience. And this kind of feels like it puts them back in the focus. For themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, the advent of the internet and all that it offers has made us a little bit irrelevant. Like young people don't need to call their parents to learn how to make any food or deal with relationship struggles, they can just scroll Instagram and find every, an answer to everything. And I, I think that's kind of cool in a way. So that's forcing us to find new things to focus on rather than trying to think we are the advisors for the young because our world has sped up so much that we don't have a clue what young people are dealing with. It's hard for us to even imagine what their life is like. So I'm, I'm just adjusting to this, you know, what I thought it was going to be and what it is. And I tend to let go of trying to do that for my daughter and focus on my life, my friends, instead of just waiting around to be of service to the young. Does that make any sense? I'm yeah. just like, what, what can I create now? Because I'm certainly not done yet. We might live to be 100. That means I got almost 40 more years. And I don't just want to sit around waiting for, you know, somebody to call me up and ask me how to make meatloaf. <laughs> do you have a good meatloaf recipe though because no no i don't, uh, I don't care dang, about that dang. <laughs> i'm more interested in talking about how i can build my biceps and my shoulder strength you know yeah yeah like like it's a younger mindset in other words we're not done yet yeah it's such a refreshing thing to hear you know i, I come from a city where what was modeled to me was that first form of aging that idea that after you're 50, it is all downhill and it's going to be terrible. And everybody would just say that and like, yeah, enjoy you while you got it. So I, I think it's so important what you're doing and what you're offering. It's huge. It's, uh, it's the other way is so limiting. And my, I remember my grandmother who was born in 1905 
used to tell me when I was in my 30s, honey, when your children are little, this is the best time of your life. In other words, everything after that is downhill. I understand her now because you're not needed. Okay, so great. You're not needed. Then get out there and have life and travel and make friends and inspire each other and learn new hobbies. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to learn new hobbies and speak Spanish. And you know, The brain can grow just like a muscle if you feed it with new knowledge. So as you're trying to instill this in your students, other people who are over the age of 50, what do you feel like are the most common blockages to kind of getting into that mindset and the growth focus? Like, Do you notice some patterns that you have to kind of work with people with? Yeah, there's a, a thinking, it's, it's two different things. One is people who are not in very good physical shape because they have injuries or limitations, like their wrist doesn't bend anymore or something, will be very afraid. And so we, we have to change that mindset to instead of being so afraid, let's just work on what can we do to mobilize that joint and also how can we find variations. Like I've got one student who's amazing. She has rheumatoid arthritis and she's had it for 35 years and she's in her mid-60s now and she has to take medication. But sometimes she wears a wrist brace, sometimes she doesn't and she still does all the things because she works hard to overcome that. And so when you get around a person like that, you tend to let go of that feeling. Then the other type you get is the really athletic people who are super strong but not flexible at all. And then the ego makes them feel bad and they have to learn how to be patient, but with the right kind of instruction, all this detail, they can actually start to make progress too. So I'd say stiffness and injury, those are the two stumbling blocks that we find in older people. And it's, it's a mindset, as you know. Yeah. yeah it's interesting because I feel like the, the mainstream view for a lot of people when they get diagnosed with something like rheumatoid arthritis or whatever XYZ. The, Osteoporosis. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, the common consensus is to like, all right, well, that's it for my physical days. And then they, they rest. They, they're like, well, it hurts to do anything else. So I'm just not going to use it. I'm not going to develop it. So what you're suggesting is kind of the opposite of like leaning into it. With curiosity, and also people have really bad postural habits by the time they're older. And so to try to convince them, if you change your postural habits through these exercises, then this stuff will feel better. But you've got to change it all over the place, like the way you sit in your chairs, the way you drive in your car. That's what I try to inspire people to see. It's not just going to come to yoga class once or twice a week and everything's going to get better, because it will, but not to the extent that, that I want. Yeah. So I'm an agent of change and transformation. I love that. Yeah, I really like the idea of changing posture is also kind of changing your mindset as well to tell somebody you're really instilling a sense of being mindful. And yeah. just by doing that, like, hey, you can actually change your posture in every given moment. That is also giving them the opportunity like, oh, I can practice yoga in every single moment. And that creates space. And that is that youthful, curious energy that's also huge. You know, we got to get the mindset changed from this when, oh, I just woke up this morning and my back doesn't feel good. I'm not coming to class. Like, that's exactly when you should come to class. That starts to happen to people around age 40, wouldn't you say? That's when people start to notice, you know, I don't wake up at like a spring chicken every morning. Sometimes things hurt. But then that's what the yoga practice, the asana practice is for, is to relieve your suffering. Wow. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So when it comes to chronic injury, um, 
you know, I'm sure you, you probably see quite a bit if people are coming to you to try and work with that. Uh, what other like special considerations do people maybe have to take into mind when they're beginning a practice like this? Well, they really have to accept what's going on with their body and understand what's going on with their body. And that helps reduce the fear because when you have pain, there's so much fear. And I have people who maybe they've been an artist for 35 or 40 years. And so when you're an artist and you're working like this, you know, you got the round shoulders and the forward head. So now they're always in pain and that everything hurts them. And then I have to work slowly, steadily. And then they'll text me after class and say, now my neck and shoulders are hurting after your class. I'll say, okay, so what are you going to do right now to get out of that pain? You got, I told you how to, I, get, I sent you pictures, you know, like that. It's a constant retraining. Yeah. See, I guess I'm kind of repeating myself, but I understand that mentality and I try to work with it, but only if someone really believes they can change rather than I'm just going to go uh, have a, a massage therapist work on this and make it better. That's really not going to be a long-term fix. Yeah. And to try to get people to see that you're just really a bag of bones at any age <laughs> that's held together by muscles and you can rearrange those bones with your muscles, but you have to be interested and you have to be committed and uh, the practice of yoga, of course, is not just physical, but the physical is hugely helpful for the mental, as you know, because once you lose your ability, as you're saying, to do things health-wise, when you can't walk up the stairs anymore without pain, life gets hard. Yeah. 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 People get bitter. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. As a massage therapist, I often tell people, like, I, I will try and instill the same thing. There's too many people out there that are trying to essentially get repeat customers. I'm like, but no, you have to work on this because it's only going to get more difficult. I can create a space for you to meet that within yourself. And I can give you some references and resources to go explore things on your own. And I've only had a few clients really take that to heart and they've reported much less chronic pain. And I'm like, that is what I'm here for is to point you in the direction of your own aptitudes. <laughs> I feel the same way as a yoga teacher. I don't want them to be reliant on me. I want to, if, then I'm not really doing my full job, just like you. If I can give you the tools that you can take home and use, and then you come home and you tell me that your neck was hurting and you got it to stop hurting, I want you, that's the best. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's interesting, though, how much uh, resistance there is to this view of life and of aging. And it really is, uh, the only alternative is really dark and heavy. And that, I mean, we're just on a downward spiral and it's only going to get worse and worse. And I mean, maybe there's an element of that. But at the same time, there's so much creativity and flexibility that you can express through that. And it really is a, a binary situation, right? It's either you're working on your health or you're going to just grow ill. And it's amazing how so much of our society has chosen uh, the latter. Uh, well, it's been modeled. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to be the type, I want to be 80 with a positive attitude. This is my hope. And I'm, when I'm working out of the gym now, I'm thinking about myself 10 years from now. And I always want to live like that. Like when I'm 80, I want to be thinking about my 90-year-old self and making her positive and, and uh, inspiring for myself, not just for others, because I don't want to live with an uninspiring mind. You know? Yeah, oh, I love that. 
you know, something I really respected about your style when I was training with you is the emphasis on strength training. I know that you've incorporated a lot of that. So what is the role of building muscle, especially while aging? Oh, man, I went kicking and screaming to the gym in about 2010. I did not want to go, but my daughter was a trainer and my husband's a weightlifter. So it's like, okay, if you can't beat him, join him. I didn't even understand it at all. And my daughter said, you have turned into from your yoga a pile of rubber bands, mom. You're just like <laughs> loose rubber bands. You're not integrated, you know, and that's why I was having the neck and shoulder problems because I could push my flexibility but nothing to hold together. So the weight training, I, I hired trainers. I've been very fortunate because when you don't know what you're doing at the gym, it's like when you try to practice yoga and you don't have anybody guiding you, you don't know what you're doing. You're not going to get results. You're probably not going to fall in love with it. It's not going to make you feel better, you know? So uh, I'm, this is just a pitch for finding someone to show you the ropes. And then now, as now I am more seasoned, and I understand the mind-muscle connection, and uh, so all these neck and shoulder problems I used to have, I don't suffer with that anymore because everything is more held together by this strength. And if we don't use it, we totally lose it. Like most women, especially, do not have upper bodies that are built, and so they can't do push-ups, they can't lift anything, they can't push anything overhead, and that's. Uh, that just will start to fall in on itself. Yeah. So my physical therapist and my weight trainer, both of them, the physical therapist teaches me how to mobilize stuck joints and how to understand why things hurt. And then the, the trainers help me understand the mind-muscle connection because I also have to say that weight training is not fun for me. I don't love it. It hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anybody who's thinking they're going to go in the gym and have a good time if they're not used to that feeling, but maybe they feel that way about yoga too. Maybe that hurts to some people in a bad way. For me, that feels delicious. I just love stretching. <laughs> so you have to cultivate a taste for both the stretching and the building of the muscle that's holding your bones and the balance. Like if your quads are too tight or hamstrings are too tight, you need to understand that. Yeah. And built muscles just function a lot better. Like I'd rather have a, a weightlifter in my class any day. They are so fun to work with because they actually can move. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Have, I know there's a lot of different philosophies but behind weightlifting and strength training. Have you found one that works for you or that you suspect might be more beneficial than the other ones? Because it is oh, yeah. such a wide field of practice. Yeah. Well, so what I've noticed, I've been very fortunate. I've hired two different trainers in my life, and they really, really understand the body and the mind-muscle connection. So... One of them, he just said to me today, I'm not going to write you a program because it depends on how you do it, not what you do. So if you want me to write, okay, do 10 squats like this. And then <laughs> it depends, totally depends on where your mind is, which is so much like yoga. And what's funny is that I am a yogi for all these years, but I couldn't translate that in the gym. Most people in the gym are just picking up something and then putting it back down. <laughs> They're not focusing on the bicep and, and really squeezing that when they're doing it. I don't know. Do you, do you lift weights? I do. Yeah. I have then, a you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You can, you can do 15 reps of something up and down and not have it affect you at all in a good way. Yeah. And you can screw things up too. So I love that. I think weightlifting and yoga, they're both mind, muscle, mind, body, connective, present moment, focused trainings that are just good for our brain. So for listeners who might not have that kind of awareness of what you're calling the mind-muscle attention, 
how, could you describe maybe the distinction between doing it without and then doing it with? And like, what what do you mean exactly by the mind muscle connection? Yeah. I would say there's so much stuff online now to educate yourself. Like if you want to do squats, for instance, to take videos of your form. And also when you're doing the squats, think what muscle group is this for? Do I want this to develop my quadriceps to my inner thighs, my butt? You know, what, what do I want? And then when you're doing the squat, can you feel that muscle working? Or are you just counting? Okay, I did 10. Because I, it took me a while to learn that. And I, I feel like I, as a yogi, I'm so connected to body-mind awareness, but I wasn't. That's, maybe I ought to start training people because I'm, I was so slow. <laughs> That's the way I feel about a lot of things. When, it takes you so, when it's so hard for you to learn something, you actually could become a great teacher of that. <laughs> I love that because it takes me a long time to do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If it comes naturally to you, you probably can't break it down for other people. Interesting. And so, I love that. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's uh, just a. I'm just putting a pitch out there to go on. There's so many people training online now, and see if you can find someone that explains it that way because they they're so good. Trainers are really, really educated. Yeah, yeah. It's impressive. I, I've been working with a guy who's been doing it for 40 or 50 years. Amazing. He's, a very intense man and uh the kind of workout that we do i think it's considered high intensity interval training mm -hmm. maybe I, I might be misnaming it but it's only 30 minutes uh whatever you do you do max weight you can probably only do six reps and the way that he walks you through it i mean there's a lot of intensity but you're really engaging the entire muscle and you're trying to get it to burn out and he always emphasizes that it's not as much about lifting the weight as it is how you set it down and the measure and control for how you extend out, that's really where you're gonna get the best bang for your buck. So just having that, we do the same thing every time and you can only do an hour a week. And uh, it's been amazing, but it has also pushed me to that limit where I am being forced to really be with the muscle as I'm working it. And as you're saying, as somebody who does a lot of yoga, I meditate a lot, I have internal awareness, it's difficult to stay with it when it's when it wants you to stop and the, the guy's saying keep going. It's oh like, man, oh God, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I know. And the other thing I've noticed is I can do more than I think I can when I put my mind to it. Like you know these shoulder raises. When one day he gave me heavier dumbbells than I've ever used, and he said, "Don't lift it with your hands. Lift it with your shoulder." And I, I oh okay, because with my hands I can, but with my shoulder, you know, then I can. So. I'm having fun with this, so I, I'm trying to make a pitch to people who are older. If you have not started weight training yet, everything you read now in the New York Times, every, every doctor is saying that's what older people need is resistance training. Yeah. With yeah. body weight bands or weights. We, you know, cardio, great, yes, but if you don't do resistance training, your muscles are going to weaken because you lose after 50 anyway. And so you're going to end up not being able to hold it together. You're not going to be able to climb up the stairs. Your knees are going to go, you know, hips, you know, everything. You're not going to be able to get up out of a chair. <laughs> yeah. You know, and even talking about just the effect that it has on mind, you know, I find yeah. that when I'm in like a really heavy workout and I'm being encouraged to go past what I know my limit is, that also translates to how I carry myself in everyday situations as well. Have you noticed something similar? Because we talk about that with yoga a lot, but have you noticed the emotional cognitive benefit of strength training? How has that affected you in that way? 
Yes, because, you know, the our brain cells shrink or die or whatever as we get older a little bit and we start forgetting things and it's harder for us to focus. Our level of sleep quality can diminish. And so if you aren't exerting yourself, that's when I think the problems start to arise. So that's why I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I can exert myself and get others to exert themselves in a fun, playful way. And be pushed. I, I was reading something that said, always attend classes where, and work with people where you're not the strongest one in the room. If you're yeah. going to classes where you are the best, the strongest, whatever, you're in the wrong class. <laughs> like always reaching is a really interesting concept instead of expecting people to make this easier for me. Right. But you, right. Have, to, you have to have the ego that will allow for that. It's okay that I'm a beginner here. You yeah. know, that I, I need to reach, if that makes sense. I, that's going to keep my brain functioning in a, a way healthier way. Then, because I think a lot of older people, we've worked so hard in our career that we've mastered it in a way, and we're really good at that thing. But that means there's a whole bunch of other things we have never tried. And so that's why I've branched out now, and I'm learning how to do pottery on a wheel, which is something I've always wanted to do, but that's a whole different skill set. And it's been fun to be a brand new beginner and be excited about that. And then learning Spanish because we live in Mexico and stretching yourself in some other direction that you didn't already master. There's so many. Yeah. Yeah. Have you found uh, as you're making your way through life that it gets harder to learn new skills? Because that's something that I've always heard is as you get older to learn something, it, it just takes more. Yeah, like I wish I had learned more languages when I was younger because that, your brain's more facile then. But that's okay. It, it's still possible. And yeah, there's a temptation to just go, ah, oh, you know, it's too hard or to what end? If I go and train to be a chef, to what end? I'm not going to go into that business, you know, because many of us are retirement age and we don't need to work anymore. So our motivation level is lower. So that's the tricky thing is take up ballroom dancing now or tennis or pickleball or something. Yeah. And to be uh, to associate with people who are also like that, always to find people who are movers and shakers, mm. if that's what you want to be, you know, that and it gets harder to make friends, too, I have to say. That's why we have enjoyed now living in an expat situation in another country, because the expats that move here are adventurous, intrepid types, and they're looking to connect with others of like mind. So I'd say watch out for getting too comfortable as you get older. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's something that I, having, interacting with the folks that you know here in Grand Rapids and mm -hmm. having uh, my home base being across the state with all those people modeling a very specific view of aging, you know, I do feel that sense of adventurous and that spark still being alive in one place and not the other. And I can see how that affects not only your mind, but also your body. And it just, it creates this like stagnating effect. Oof. And I think that that is aging. That's entropy. That's what we're trying to mobilize against. <laughs> exactly. And I've always thought I should not make my life too easy so that I don't just end up on the internet in my 70s and 80s sitting around all day. I should have to go out in the garden. And we live in a walkable town with cobblestone streets and we have to walk uphill to our house, downhill to the gym, uphill to our house, 15 or 20 minutes every single day, maybe twice a day. That's actually been a big blessing. But some older people would say, oh, I'm not going to walk up that hill every day. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm saying, I'm going to walk up that hill and I'm also going to do the stairs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that.
Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking a lot about the physicality of these practices of aging, the importance of keeping things mobile, but there is that other element of yoga that I think is very important. And it's even hinted at within the name of your program with the wisdom warriors. So I'm curious on in the same way we can talk about the importance of movement for aging, what's the function of wisdom as we get older and how do we cultivate that? And what would you be able to say about that aspect of it? Great question. One of the limbs of yoga is called Swadhyaya, which means study, uh, scriptural study and study of the self and self-awareness. So read all the wisdom teachings that you can find. That's what I do and listen to all the podcasts and all the great authors that have taken the ancient teachings and modernized them. So you can study the ancient teachings or you can study the modernized versions of them, but all those wisdom teachings, because just because we are at a retirement age, whatever, we're still going to be challenged greatly by life and our families and our bodies and everything. And so we're going to have to face challenges just like young people are facing challenges. How are we going to handle them skillfully? So I'm always looking to wisdom teachers. I have counselors, therapists, you know, when I want to talk something over personally and get some input on what's the best way to approach this. And what's amazing to me is even though I've I've aged, I'm still kind of emotionally immature sometimes. (laughs) And that's an embarrassing thing to say. But maturity doesn't happen just because you blow out the candles on your cake every year and they get bigger, you know. We, We still are always growing and learning and the thing for me is to not beat myself up over the past things that I may view as mistakes that are really just life lessons, because as you get older, you accumulate more of that. <laughs> you know? And yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's just so much baggage. And uh, what I want to keep doing is lightening that up and not carrying it around because it's the only person that hurts is myself. <laughs> it doesn't do me any good. It doesn't do anybody else any good. Um, I also don't want to sound like, oh, the way the world is going is so bad. I, I long for the good old days. I hear that a lot from older people. Oh, everything's going to hell in a handbasket because in ways things are changing and they are getting really intense, but there's also good things happening and more awareness is happening. So I'd rather keep my focus there. So it's interesting with the wisdom, you know, like I'm still trying to gain some, <laughs> Yeah. And I, I also, I, but I know from experience, like I'm prop, there are decisions I wouldn't make that a younger person might make, but I've already been there, done that. Mm. So that's the wisdom. I know the outcome of that, but they might have to go through that. Like wisdom is always hard earned. Don't you think you yeah. can't buy it for free? <laughs> you learn, I learn everything the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. And I keep, yeah, I mean, I can't say that I necessarily have wisdom, but I do know when I've learned something that feels really uh, juicy, it is from like, I'll I'll spend some time with the teaching and try to understand it intellectually, but it's only until I really go through it that it contextualizes. And then that teaching kind of gets superimposed over that experience. And that's when it becomes my own. But unless I had taken time to really try to process that teaching, that wouldn't be accessible. And then I couldn't communicate about it. Otherwise it would have been like, that thing was terrible and I hope that that never happens again. But having the context, having the ability to see like, oh, I'm not the only one who's gone through something like this. And, oh, maybe the people who talk about these things actually have something worthwhile and I don't know everything. 
There's a way in which I'm a little envious of younger people because it, it seems to me like since about 10 years ago, so much has been exposed that was hidden. Do you agree with that when we were young? I think because so. Because of the internet and because of just yeah. the way the Me Too movement, all Black Lives Matter, all this stuff, we were just ignorant and naive. So you could say, oh, the 70s and 80s were such great years. I don't know. Now everything's been exposed. So I think younger people actually have more practical wisdom than older people, if that makes any mm. sense. Because we are just having to swallow our, our just our eyes are being open like, oh, my God, I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to stay in a state of wonder instead of despair over that. And uh, I'm great. I'm grateful that my grandchildren are being raised by my daughter and her husband. I think they're going to do a way better job than I could have ever done. And I'm just grateful that I get to see that instead of jealous <laughs> of <beating laughs> myself up. I just didn't know. You can't know what you didn't know. Yeah, it's your generation created the conditions for my generation to be able to. So, I mean, there there is like an evolution that's happening. And, you know, I definitely feel like a role was played and it was very important. You know, I can acknowledge that I'd only the only reason I have the ability to access the information and knowledge in the way that I do is because my parents sacrificed a lot to create an environment that fostered curiosity. And I can recognize they never had that. You know, not only technology, but also just the understanding of culture really shaped them to be a certain way that maybe in some ways limited them, some ways empowered them. But either way, it's what allowed me to explore life in the way that I have. Good for you. <laughs> I'm really impressed with that attitude. Instead of this, okay, boomer, blame the boomers for everything. It's like, in a way, we're sacrificial lambs, people. <laughs> you know, yeah. just be lucky that you didn't have to go through this, and you don't have to watch the uh, aftermath like we do and live through it. And yeah, so <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm applauding your uh, your attitude. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's I talk to a lot of people, obviously in my yeah. age group, who have struggled with uh, their parents not understanding boundaries yeah. and mental health things, and they just don't know how to skillfully handle relationships. And, you know, I think that it's amazing that my generation is actually grappling with this because we really are the first who've had the access to this amount of information on it. And I do think to what you're saying, we have to be a little bit easier on our folks, even if they have really bad views or like outdated things about them to understand the culture and the environment that they were raised in. And, you know, I just hear stories from people and it's like, oh my God, I never had anything close to having to deal with that. So I can't even, who am I to say that you're like living your life wrong or, you know, it's very presumptuous. We were raised in a completely different paradigm and we were not allowed to question our parents like people do now. There's no way. And I, there's a way in which I think that's kind of sweet. Like my mother's in her late eighties now. And I never said the things to her that my daughter has said to me. <laughs> I feel good about that because my mom couldn't have handled it. Yeah. Because she was born in the 30s, you know, but I can handle it. So I'm not mad that this is being exposed to me and I'm I'm having to face some things that that's actually growth producing. But not everybody has that ability. And so that's another part of Wisdom Warriors is you have to be so strong internally to face truth, even when it hurts and to not let your ego get in the way of what's real and honest, unless you want a nice fake relationship like we all grew up with, patronizing yeah. your parents when they get older, patting them on the head. <laughs> yeah, I don't want that. Yeah. She doesn't want that. Right. So yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's 
a very commendable approach and i think it's really important to yeah just acknowledge like understanding different people's capacities and only speaking to what you think is actually um, absorbable <laughs> and receptive to you know i think we uh attribute a lot of our qualities to people that just don't have the same access to that and not to say that they really don't but they just haven't developed it just understanding who you're talking to and how they could receive something i think is something that my generation maybe struggles with yeah and see this all goes back to strength doesn't it like i have to have this inner strength and this outer strength and i have older friends who have hearing aids and they they handle this in different ways some of them get really upset with noise and they have to leave and then we can't hang out with them. And some of them just adjust their hearing aids or go along with it. You know, like these are the things that we'll face. Those are real things. And it's just interesting to observe different ways that people handle these things. Yeah. I really like the quote and I'm probably going to butcher it, but essentially instead of covering the, like if the world is really thorny and prickly, instead of trying to cover it with leather, maybe cover your feet with leather <laughs> instead. Exactly. That idea... You don't try to get all everybody to conform to the way you need them to be. You change yourself. That's that's the whole deal with yoga. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So how does how does physical practice itself? Because that is often what most people do when they go to a yoga studio. I mean, there's definitely the philosophy and the other limbs, but how does physical practice itself translate into wisdom? How does that kind of seep into your daily lived experience so you can start? connecting to your own wisdom through this? Well, sometimes the physical asana practice is, is the main time when we turn our focus inward. You get on a mat, even if you're doing simple things and you close your eyes, you breathe, you do not look at your phone. You know, you take away all the other distractions and you just be in the present moment. That's what I love about it. Even if you're doing simple things and you breathe. And when you do that with other people, you're more accountable. When you do it by yourself, it's great if you can. But when you do it with other people, people are watching and listening and learning and partnering and all the things that we do. So really, for, for some people, that might be the only time of the day. Maybe they have a meditation practice too, but then the day takes you out into the world and distracts you. And some people go to church for that reason, you know, because that's the only time when they do something other than just chores and material focus and indistractable watching television or internet stuff you know so that's that's what i love about a regular practice is maybe the only and we need it because we get distracted and we get dust on the mirror of the lens we say we get uh, we spiral into downward thought patterns of all kinds of negativity that and then everybody always feels better after they practice right either the yoga yeah. high is, is a thing they get yeah. blissed out and they have different perspective on their life and more gratitude and appreciation. So I just, I love being a part of that on a regular basis. Do you feel like it has seeped into your life in a way where you feel like your baseline level of presence is typically less prone to the downward spiral or do you only feel it within the confines of a class or I guess I'm just looking for that yeah how that intersects with daily live or going to get groceries yeah. or you dropped a coffee mug. and yep. Oh, yeah. I would say that I can see that in, in my husband and I, the way we interact. It's a, if some, like you drop a coffee mug and it breaks, it's like, oh, get a broom. Not, why are you so clumsy? You know, 
because we have learned to take responsibility. All the teachings kind of are in us. And we realize if you make, if you escalate this thing right now, you're going to make it worse. So they didn't do that on purpose. And I think about young people who are raising little kids and they, they cause <laughs> tangents. You just want to yell at them. You're like, they are just little. Yeah, you know, That's why I wish I had better when I was a young mom. I didn't have this in my, I was practicing yoga, but I was too new at it to really take it in. And I see this, I see a lot of good parenting advice and relationship advice being given now to embody the teachings in your everyday interactions, because that's where it really matters. And to also walk around with a sense of wonder and awe and notice things. And what I love about Mexico is that people say buenos dias or buenas tardes or buenas noches when they walk by you. It's just impolite not to. That's not the same in the United States. People just yeah. walk by each other mostly, right? Avert their gaze. Yes. And yeah. even here sometimes that starts to happen. But I, I am constantly reminded you're not – it's very rude to – text somebody without saying buenos dias so now when i text my american friends i'll say good morning instead of just did you remember to do the <laughs> like that yeah just a, a human kindness and consideration has come in yeah so what do you think predisposes us to that more agitated the habitual response you know say that your child comes in and breaks something that you value even though there's no way that they could have known x y or z would have happened like, what do you think that that in, initial, like, like, where does that come from? My first thought is ego. Like, you broke my thing. And now I've made the thing is more important than your feelings in our relationship. And that's easy trap to fall into. Uh, you were late. How come I had to wait for you? You know, not like, are you okay? <laughs> you know, yeah. We value our stuff, our time, our things more than people and I don't want to be like that. I can come across like that, but I don't want to be like that. Yeah. Kindness, love. These are the qualities I would like to have be more prominent. <laughs> yeah. That's basically what it is, right? That's why we're here. Yeah. And competitive competition, you know, you made more money than somebody else or they didn't, you know, whatever this comparison mindset. You know, we're challenged all the time to be happy for others instead of, jealous of them go you get to go to hawaii on a fully paid trip how wonderful <laughs> send pictures yeah. Yeah. yeah so does what is yoga's uh view of ego like how does how do we end up with such a constricted sense of territoriality to the point where we're like we need to go for a practice like we need to kind of untangle and figure that out why isn't that just like our natural state does yoga have oh i don't know don't you think it's human like a two-year-old is all like mine <laughs> they don't yeah. want to share they have to be taught like that. i think it's human nature i think it's built in to our limbic yeah. system is to search for danger and watch out and all this so we have to like tame the ego in the mind which is what the practices do like the, the wisdom rises over the animal instinct to claim what's yours and take everything personally. And, you know, the person, like, he's not ignoring me. He's just working. <laughs> this happens in relationships when people live together. Like, why are you not talking to me? Because I'm working, you know. But then to realize if I don't pay attention to them, this relationship is going to start to wither like a plant. So let me put this down and give you a hug right now. <laughs> I think it takes yeah. a lot of skill to live with somebody, you know, it's easier to live by yeah. yourself, <laughs> yeah. but when we live with others, we get challenged. 
Yeah, and you know, in, in some way, we're always living with others. If you go to the grocery store, if you're stuck in traffic, it's if true. you're working with people, you know, there is a sense of that. We're always being asked to kind of understand the the dynamics of our ego and how it wants to seep in and take control and be really possessive and. You know, that distinction between the animal instinct and wisdom, you know, you just said the wisdom kind of rises above. If the wisdom is not from our animal bodies, then what exactly is the wisdom? Is this too heavy? No, no, no. I think I get what you're saying because yoga is a connection between the body and mind, between the mortal and the divine. And what, what we like to say is it's so beautiful when you combine the two and you can exist in the physical plane but have divine consciousness at the same time. Why do you have to wait till you die to release this mortal body? And then you see the light, you know? So that's kind of what we're trying to do is bring that light in while we're still embodied. Which, and, the, and the earth is just a really tough place to live. It's constant yeah. lessons. And it's a lot of disappointment and suffering but you can rise above it. You, you can have pain, you know, but not suffer. This is one of the teachings. You have to hear that thousands of times before you realize, I realize I'm causing suffering because of the way I'm thinking about this. If I could shift the thinking, which might take a lot of counseling sometimes, then I won't <laughs> suffer anymore. It's just the way, it's not the thing. It's my thoughts about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, going back to just bringing, like, your focus with the wisdom warriors, you know, that really creates a much bigger context for what you're doing because one of the biggest things that causes suffering is the fact that we're in aging temporary bodies so changing the way you think about it to be an opportunity to keep expressing flexibility in an emotional sense yeah. keep expressing gracefulness as you do that process that really does feel like one of the most liberating uh, things we can do, maybe one of the most difficult things to do well. Why are we so shocked that this all is impermanent? But we, we have to remind ourselves, it is all impermanent. Everything is impermanent. Everything you love, everything you do that you appreciate is going to go. So please don't be so shocked. Please be expecting yeah. that. <laughs> and then it, it yeah. increases your gratitude and your appreciation of everything. Yeah, it's interesting how, you know, this year I really just started to notice what was impermanent was my hairline is starting to, oh, and man. you know, there was this, the, it was it was a brief kind of conversation I had with myself of just kind of like, okay, so this is happening. I knew it would end up happening, but it still came as a shock. And I imagine as people are, you know, I'm only turning 30 this year, so I haven't felt the full brevity of the body starting to ache in yeah. these ways, but you know, people still are just caught off guard. And then totally. the tendency I feel like is to maybe numb out from that very raw reality, kind of go into entertainment, into discursiveness and habituation, and all of that to just cover up from the very raw sense of like, oh, this is deteriorating to some degree. That's... It's hard. And that's, I think that's, I find in our age group, a lot of drinking. You think people drink in college, just wait till you get in your 60s. And I, I, I get it, drinking and drugs, because this is too hard to face. Yeah. And so um, that's where you need practices and tools to understand the bigger picture. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's, it's so scary. But again, we're trying so hard to model. You know, COVID came along. God, did that teach us a few things or what? And it continues to teach yeah. us things about how impermanent everything is. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, what you were saying about everybody turning to drinking, you know, this is something that I know from my hometown, which that's most people's track in life. Yep. And this idea of like retirement is such an interesting one to me. I've never structured my life with this idea, like I'm going to retire and then do what? Yeah. Like what it, like that's such a weird thing that's been baked into our culture yeah. that you just, if you work at something you don't like for a really long time, then you'll get to just kick back and just do whatever enjoy, you want if you have enough money, which is right, <laughs> yeah. which is just like kind of stagnation, yeah. you know, irrelevant. You just finally yeah. stagnate, be irrelevant, yeah. kind of bumble around the place. Yeah. yeah it, it doesn't seem like a good deal to me. <laughs> no, it's not a good deal. And that's why, well, I'm very fortunate that my work is something I love that I can do forever because I love it. But some people do have jobs that are more means to an end and it's taken up all their time and they can't wait to not have to wake up every morning and do that. I get that. And they're, they really love retirement and they take up different sports and start to travel. And, and so that works, but for, it's not for everybody. The word retirement, it doesn't make any sense to me. Why would I ever stop doing this thing that I love? So that's what I wish for everybody is that they'll find things that they love at, even when they're working a job that they don't love. Okay. But can you find other things so that the transition won't be so stark and leave you feeling so helpless? Because I don't think 60 is very old anymore. 65 is not very old anymore. We're going to live longer. So we need to be having things that keep our minds and bodies occupied and make us feel like we're contributing. And whether that's volunteer, you know, I don't need to get paid so much. It's okay. I'm, I make pottery, <laughs> whatever. I, I just love interacting with people and you know, learning new skills. But yes, retirement is something that people very much struggle with. And then I have this thing about living alone in older age. I don't think it's a good idea from what I see. Mm. I think mm -hmm. it's a scary thought that if, if yeah. there's too much isolation. So if people can figure out, they don't have to be married, but can they figure out how to live with roommates or in communities some way where they're, they're not soaking around in their own thoughts all day? You know, yeah. if you're not going to be out in the world working every day and interacting with people, then you need to be making food with them and gardening with them or, you know what I mean? Something like that. Yeah. You're going to yeah. go nuts. <laughs> that kind of seems to be like one of the, the elements of entropy is that going into the thoughts. And I can imagine that as you get older, you have a lot of thoughts because you've had a lot of life. There's a lot of things you can analyze ad nauseum. Yeah. So just turning yourself inside out. It just seems to be such an important element. And yeah, living with people. I've pretty much always had roommates in my adult life. And e even when I'm like financially stable enough to have my own place, I kind of just still want roommates. And the, they're annoying. Like that. that people are annoying, but silence and is deadly too. And the, if yeah. you don't have a social life, I don't know. Some people would argue with me and they'd say, no, I, I like coming home and having everything just the way I like it. There's danger in that. You know, yeah. talk about getting set in your ways. So that's, this is my point and my plan. I, I have a beautiful marriage right now and I'm enjoying it. But if I outlive my husband, I'll be creating the golden girls <laughs> for <laughs> sure. And we'll be traveling yeah. and we'll be, you know, making stuff happen. That's my plan. I, I love that. <laughs> and there was something that was saying that like loneliness is like one of the biggest predictors of like even like cardiovascular disease, like it, it affects us on a physical level. And I think it's probably what most people do end up fearing. It's not necessarily being alone, but loneliness. Like, am I going to die alone? <laughs> am I going to, like, we all want to like have a, I think it's what draws people to marriage a lot of the times. It's like, I just don't want to be alone going through the difficulty of life. And 
And I think having Kula or yoga community is a really wonderful thing because of that too. Yeah. Yeah. You really need each other. We, we do need each other and we get, we should be, like I said before, around inspiring people. Because, okay, so you end up a situation with roommates, you get to have some control over who that's going to be. And if they're not right, mm -hmm. then you have to change somehow, you know. I'm very big on making our environment supportive to us instead of toxic. Yeah. Is, you know. But that's not yeah, easy for some think... people. Some people end up in toxic environments and can't get out. And that's, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. Yeah. Yeah, I, there's one of the teachers that I follow. He's long since passed. His name is Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche. Mm -hmm. He's from the Tibetan system. And I just saw this wonderful quote where he said that the mind is like a precious gem and it reflects all of your relationships and your environment. So like do like pay heed to who you're interacting with because they are informing who you are. Totally. And that's taking it's... what you're taking in, what you're reading, what you're watching on TV or the internet, you know, like. All that stuff. And I think, sadly, older people these days get sucked into political stuff that's not healthy and spin out negatively. You know what I'm talking about? And watching yeah. that has been difficult because maybe they, in their life they were never that interested in it, but that's there's so much noise in that realm that they get sucked in the drama. I don't yeah. want to go there. It's a very... Yeah very stimulating. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can point to all the mainstream news. I just had a media literacy teacher on the last episode. And that's something I think a lot of the older generations kind of struggle with. My generation too is understanding media literacy and where are their sources? What are they actually trying to sell you? Is it the actual capital T truth? Or are they trying to drum up your emotions so that they can advertise to you? Yeah. And yeah, it's uh, some of the most lonely people who are the most vulnerable. Yep. And then it's a gossip culture. You know, people love to spread bad news and get everybody all riled up. And oh, I just don't want to be doing that. I actually want to live in a multi-aging situation with kids around when I get older. Because kids can be so annoying to older people. And that's super sad when, when you can't stand children's laughter and and children don't even want to be around you because you're grumpy. You know, I don't want that. Yeah. So I pay a lot of attention, you see, on both sides of my age group to see what's the best choice I can make. That's wonderful, though. That's that's important. Always 20 years older, 20 years younger, at least to go out like that far to see what you can learn. Yeah, that's so important. Yeah, I feel like so much. Um, I know we're kind of nearing the end yeah. here, but, you know, I, I consider a lot of the grumpier old people that I've had in my life, um, you know, and how much trauma has to also be the bedrock of that, that just never gets checked. And again, they didn't have access and it just solidifies into a just rock of just congestion and d dissatisfaction. And it's just really uh, unfortunate. Yeah, so these are some of the landmines I'm trying to step around, <laughs> you know. Well, it seems like you're doing good work, so thank you so, <laughs> so much. So far, so good. Yeah. So far, so good. You never know what life is going to hand you, so we just got to keep dealing with whatever it is with grace. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, that sounds like a great place to end it. So, Desiree, thank you so much. This went by really fast for me. It did. So I was like, it, oh, okay, you. it's an hour. All right. Uh, so you offer online teaching, right? I have a video online platform, like a library on my website. People join and it's not live, but I've taped about 75 classes there. So 
they can absorb my teachings that way. And then I'm traveling. I'm doing a few live events and retreats this year, too. It's all on my website. I love working live with people when I can actually see what they're trying to do from my words. So both are good. So what, what's, what's the website name? Oh, it's my name, DesireeRamba.com. It's it super is. easy. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably remember that. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Desiree, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate this. You're so welcome. I think it's going to benefit a lot of people. I hope so. so. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye. All right, friends, that was the episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way through until the end. I really do make the show for you in particular. So if you want to stay plugged in with Desiree's work, as she just said, head on over to DesireeRumba.com. She has a lot of amazing online classes. Having studied with her, I can attest she is incredibly skillful at helping you get a consistent yoga practice. If you want to support this show, please consider like, follow, subscribing on all the social media handles. And maybe if you really want to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash 21st Century Vitalism and become a patron. We'll, we'll be uh, unveiling some more rewards with that. So other ways to engage with the show um, and more opportunities to really allow these teachings and these conversations to seep in on deeper levels. So please keep an eye out for that. Thank you again so much. We will talk to you on the next episode.